uh, song is a, just a great song. It's, it's just loaded with various truths that are important that we rest in our heart. Uh, it's also, I realized as we were singing it this morning, it really rests well with not only the sermon series we're in, but also our entire theme for the year, which has been with learning and practicing the presence of God in our everyday life. Uh, there's some things that we sing in that song that really resonate with that, that really reinforce that as well. Uh, before we jump into the message today, let me just uh, let you know about something. Uh, you're going to be hearing a lot in the coming weeks about various ministries here at the church. Uh, that is, those who are serving in those ministries or how they're impacting various people. And our hope is, obviously, that you can see a way you can engage and be all in with the vision that we have here and be a part of that, whether it's serving in a ministry, whether it's connecting with a group, uh, whether it's engaging in some different form or fashion when we worship together on a Sunday morning. Um, but let me just share with you something that's important. I, I found it interesting. About a month or so back, we had a couple of children come into our student ministry, and uh, they, their primary language was Spanish. They didn't understand what was going on. And so very quickly, Carrie found some people that could help serve them and translate everything for them. And we're doing that week after week with the same person, and obviously that can get difficult. You need a rotation and something like that. But this is one of the visions of our children's ministry that I love. Whether it's something like that or it's a child with special needs, and they're going to get a one-on-one -on -one as much as possible because we believe that any child has the opportunity to hear the gospel. We want to make sure that that is made beneficial through what we're doing. And so I just want to say, listen, my, my, my Espanol is muy malo, so they, they can't use me over there. Uh, but if you're saying, hey, I, you know, I can speak both languages very fluently and I could be a part of that, come see me personally. I'd love to connect you with that opportunity to be all in and help children over in our student ministry as well. Um, this morning, we're looking at the ninth command Next week, we'll be looking at the 10th command, uh, but we're going to be doing some things out of order, and that's okay. But I, I'm, I'm excited because it really, what we're talking about here, really resonates with that song that we just sang and the two of them together, the idea of being satisfied in Jesus. Let me read that command for you in, in Exodus 20, verse 16. It says this, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Now, if we just leave it as that, it's very easy for us to say, well, I've never done this, you know, that's okay. But we've seen time and time again in every single one of the commands that there's a much more broad spiritual aspect to it that Jesus isn't going to allow us to make it this simple legalistic thing and then absolve ourselves from having failed in this area. So we're going to look at that here in just a minute. But let me just share a couple of illustrations with you. Uh, just by show of hands, you don't have to throw it up if you don't want to, but how many of you know the story of Joseph in the Bible? I mean, you've probably seen the play maybe or something. Um, but the, the reality of it is, is Joseph comes up against an intense moment of character, and he wins hands down. He, he overcomes a moment triumphantly. Basically, his boss's wife is pursuing him. Uh, she wants to have sex with him, and it comes to a point where she corners him when he is alone in one of the rooms, and she ends up with his cloak in her hand because she is holding on to him. He's like, the only way I can get out of here is let go of this cloak, and so he bailed out of his clothes and got out of there as fast as he could. Here's what's interesting, though, in the story. You know, basically she's saying, hey, look, we can do this, and nobody is going to know. And Joseph says something interesting there that we'll look at in just a minute. But the point is, is he's like, no, I, I don't want to deceive. 
I don't want to be uh, telling false truths to other people about the kind of relationship that we have. And he bailed in a situation that would have been very hard for most men to bail in as well. And then think about this story, Abraham and Sarah, when it comes to lying and deception. There's a lot going on there. How many of you know the story of Abraham to some degree, right? You know, when he goes into Egypt with his wife and they're traveling, he says, listen, you're a beautiful woman. And if they know that we're married, they'll kill me and take you. So he says, let's just tell them that you're my sister. Which I'm thinking, wow, a lot of courage there. I don't know about you wives out there, but I'm thinking, oh, I want to find me another man here. You know what I'm saying? But, you know, that was the story. That was the deal. And that's exactly what they did. And so Pharaoh, though, it's, it's funny how it backfires on him, right? When we make uh, our plans out of deception and lies and rather than trusting God, sometimes that can backfire intense and tenfold, right? And so Pharaoh's like, well, she's only your sister, so I want to take her as my wife. But before that happened, start, bad things started happening to Pharaoh's family. He's like, hey, something's going on here. And he says, is this really your sister? And Abraham's like, no, she's, you know, she's, my, she's my wife. And so he's like, why would, you, why would you do this? You know, and everything was restored and everything was okay. Um, but, you know, whether it's very black and white situations like Joseph's where deception can creep into our lives, or it's gray areas like Abraham and Sarah where deception can creep in our lives, it's a problem. And you may be thinking, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. What's that? How is it a gray area with Abraham and with Sarah? Because, you know, they seem to, it seemed to be just a downright lie. Well, you need to know a little bit more about the truth of Abraham. And I think that this will probably bring out in your own life where maybe you've manipulated the truth to fit to your benefit. Here's what Abraham said when replying to Pharaoh. He said, I said to myself, there is surely no fear of God in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not my mother, and she became my wife. Hey, they're from Kentucky. It's okay. Just get past that, all right? Um, but this is the truth. And so what he did, in, in many of our minds, we would say, ah, it's, it's acceptable. It's okay. But it was deception. It was not true. And, and essentially what he was doing was, I'm going to trust in my plan and my ability to manipulate the truth rather than trust that God called me to this place. God will protect me. God will care for me. And, and there's a big issue there when it comes to our relationship with God. Because at the end of the day, here's the thing. The greatest lies, the greatest deception is a mingling of truth and things that are false. Because at the end of the day, the world that we see and the mess that it's in is a result of this kind of reality, this deception of mingling of true things and false things. I mean, after all, from the very beginning, this is what we read. The woman said to the serpent, said to Satan, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat it, uh, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. There's truth there. And there's also lies there. 
And this is why he has earned, not just been labeled, but earned the, the title in the Bible, the father of all lies. Because there's nobody more deceptive and more able to manipulate parts of the truth and parts of things that are untrue and try and deceive us in such a way that he has deceived much of the world. And this is the most significant issue that lies beneath this command, this ninth command, don't bear false testimony against your neighbor. Because deception can be harmful to people, it can break down relationships, but first and foremost, it is an offense to our relationship with God. This gets us back to the heart and soul of this entire sermon series and why we've been doing it. Let me bring you back to that story of Joseph. Listen to what Joseph says when he is trying to get out of the pickle he's in with this woman who is crazily pursuing him. He says this, No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. Start acting like it, right? How then could I do such a wicked thing against God? It's not how could I do a wicked thing against my my boss? How could I do a wicked thing against you or against me? His first and primary thought is how can I do a wicked thing against God? That is how can I sin against God? How can I allow deception in my heart to go as a complete offense against the nature of God? And this brings us back to the heart and soul of this entire series. It's it's never been about moralism, right? Here are the 10 things, get really good at legalism, be good at being good. It's always been about we have a father in heaven who loves us. We have a world in which we've experienced the fallen nature and deception running its course. It has wreaked havoc and is wrecking havoc on our hearts and pulls us away from the Father. How can I live in such a way that I truly honor the relationship of my Father in heaven? And we're seeing this demonstrated in this moment by Joseph to recognize that through all things, perception is to see that God is present in that moment. And that's why this matters so much. I mean, who doesn't want that kind of truth in their life, that kind of integrity, that kind of strength to be able to run away from anything they perceive to be not to glorify God because they have a desire to bring their own life up. They have a desire to bring the life of other people around them up. Think about this, a team, whether it's on a field or a court or whether it's in an office, right? When you add that one person who's really great and even just a really good element to the team, it can bring the whole team up. It can make the whole team rise to a new notch, so to speak. I think everybody desires in their life to live with this kind of strength and integrity to really model uh, their King and Savior, Jesus Christ, really model the integrity of God so that other people around them, when they come in contact with you, they just rise up a little bit. They're inspired by who you are because you're living like Christ and sharing Christ with your world. I think this is what so many people would desire to have. And here's what we learn to practice out of what we're seeing here. The first lesson is simply this. Deception is a direct offense to God because it is a direct opposition to his nature. I don't even want to ask because I'd have to put mine on a list too, but I wonder if we would put on a list all the lies 
or acts of deception that are present in the hearts of all of us here that nobody has ever seen, that nobody knows. And in fact, I'm in a weird position as a preacher. I've had people come to me and share things with me that still to this day, nobody knows. Somebody, and I'm never surprised by anything anymore. Like year three of ministry pretty much ended all the surprises for me. But here's the truth, right? They are listed somewhere. Because deception is a direct offense to the nature of God. And so we desire a relationship with God. So we're learning how to live in harmony to honor that relationship with God. This is what the Ten Commandments are all about. They're not about legalism and trying to be good for the sake of being good. They're about, hey, my Father in heaven has done great things for me. I want to be close to him. How can I practice that? And this is the second thing. Practicing the presence of God empowers us to overcome deception of the heart. We've been talking about this as our entire yearly theme, the theme with learning to practice the presence of God in our lives. How is it that Joseph is able in the midst of a very carnal moment to run out of there and remain true to the heart of God is because he's practicing his presence. He's like, God is here with me and you, and how could I do such a wicked thing against him and be deceptive? See, the more we learn each and every day and everything that we see and everything that we do and everything that we say to practice the presence of God in our life, the more it empowers us to have a broader perspective and see past the moment, see past the situation, see past the issue, to be able to see God in this place, God in this moment, and to do something that is uncanny, that causes other people to look and go, wow, man, they are an inspiring person and bring their level up it's because we see the bigger picture and it's because we see God present in that moment. At the heart and soul of the gospel, if you do not believe that accepting Jesus Christ who is king of the universe as your Lord and Savior and beginning to trust and follow him brings his presence into your life through the Holy Spirit, then you're missing one of the primary truths of the gospel because that's what makes us able to come into his kingdom and live eternally in his kingdom as well. He is present with you wherever you go. And he desires for you to practice that. And we see what can happen when that takes place. Let me mention a couple things. I think for some of us, we see this legalistic command. We're like, all right, I've never perjured myself in court. Okay, so I'm pretty good here. No, this is so much more manifold in the scriptures from beginning to end than we think. For example, this is labeled under gossip, all right? The majority of this is spreading false or negative truths about someone else to somebody else. Then we just got straight up lies, all right? White lies and just downright lies where our faith is in managing or manipulating the truth versus trusting in God. I ain't even gonna ask you. We'd all raise our hands if we said, has anybody in this room ever lied? Um, then you have deception. This is actually something with malicious intent to gain something or to hurt somebody else. Then you have one I bet you never thought of, flattery. Flattery. How many of you in here have ever used your position or your looks or something to leverage somebody by making them feel good about themselves because you want something from them? Look, listen to what Psalms 12 says. Everyone lies to their neighbor. They flatter with their lips but harbor deception in their hearts. Oh, hey, it's great to see you. Yeah, it's good. Man, that guy's an idiot. I can't stand that person. This happens all the time. Fraud, whether it's personal, business, any type of fraud, you know, is, is 
under this, this heading. And just downright honesty, just general honesty and attitude in the heart and flows out of the character of who we are because we're wanting to be like God. We're wanting to be like Christ and how we live. And so my intention here is not to, like, m- you know, multiply your pain or your frustration, you're upset that, you know, yeah, this is my problem. I've done this before. I'm really bad at this or I'm really, you know, not so bad at this or whatever. But my intention is to make sure that all of us realize how much this hits us square between the eyes, how much this rests on every single one of us and how much of an offense it is to the very core nature of God so that we can be intentional about recognizing the deception that comes into our lives and, and do just like Joseph, run in the direction of God. Glorify him in the midst of times when Satan's going to try and captivate our heart with lies and move us in a direction of glorifying the world or glorifying Satan versus glorifying God. So let me give you three quick ways in which we are deceived. We have the world's deception, Satan deceptions, and self-deception, all right? The world deception, there's a lot of different things. I'm going to break it down into two things. One is we don't listen. We are deceived by the world when we refuse to listen. Okay, so it could be you're highly opinionated. Talk, 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 talk. You know everything that's wrong and you can fix everything. Let me ask you a question. As you evaluate your conversations with people and how you have conversation with them, is it like 90-10? Like 10% of the time you listen, 90% of the time you talk? It's a good little personal inventory you can do of your own life, right? Uh, some people are highly opinionated. They don't, they don't listen. They just simply talk. It could be pride. I already know it. I don't need to hear from you on it. We just shut ourselves down. It could be arrogance. This is just an angry person shouting somebody else down. We see this in cancel culture within our community and culture as well. It could be ignorance. I don't want to know. I don't care to know. I don't have any desire to know. So whether it is opinions, whether it's pride, whether it's arrogance, whether it's ignorance, all these things are things that kind of move us towards not listening And just simply allowing our heart to sit stale wherever it is. And here's the second thing that is the deception of the world is as a result of that, we don't change. We don't grow. We don't transform. Listen, we're we're about to refresh our value statements on the wall in the foyer. If you look out there now, which everybody probably will, you'll notice one of them's missing, all right? And what we're doing is just refreshing them. and, And there's some small little tweaks that we're making to them. But there's one value that we've always had, and it's growth. Growing people are transformed. They're changing. Their their hearts are becoming more in tune with the heart of their king, Jesus Christ. And here's the reality when we think about this. If you don't listen, you don't change. And, And here's the reality. Hearing is not listening. Hearing's involuntary. If I have healthy ears, there's nothing I can do other than put on noise-canceling headphones to get the annoyance sometimes out of there. And here's what's even more interesting. We talk about this on a day like today when our worship leader is deaf. And she'll sit in one of the two services, as she always does, and she'll read the lips on the screen. And the irony is she'll probably hear more than some of the other people here will. Because hearing is not listening. Listening is intentful. I'm hearing what's being said. I'm processing it. Maybe even writing some things down. Want to think about it later. Maybe sometimes, well, I'm not sure about that verse. Let me go look it up for myself. There's intent there. And, and, you know, when we don't listen, we won't change. And, And so we need to be listening. Think about both of these that are demonstrated in God's word as he speaks through the author James. James said, don't be deceived. 
my dear brothers and sisters, in verse 16. He goes on in verse 19 to say, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and to become angry. Do you find yourself speaking a lot and not listening a lot? Do you find yourself cutting somebody off before they actually get their whole thought out because you were just simply thinking about what you were going to say rather than actively and attentively listening to what they were going to say. If that's just our nature, we apply that to everybody, even God in his word. And the problem is, is we don't listen. We're not going to change. We're not going to transform. And look at what he goes on to say in verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. The only way that we can take something into our hearts, apply it, and transform and change something that we're doing is when we listen. And the world's going to try and deceive us and distract us in all kinds of ways by getting our attention so that we, we don't really pay attention to the things that we need to. We don't really listen. We're just kind of mindly and numbly moving along, but when we listen with a true heart, not just hear, listen with a true heart, we are positioned to receive information that can transform that heart and make us into a person who's filled up in Christ in ways that we spill out to the other people, bringing them up a level around us. Think about Ephesians chapter four. It says, instead speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. Don't give in to the world's deception. Take the time to be very attentive to what is true and what is false. The only way to do that is to really listen intently. All right, Uh, Satan's deception. Look at what 2 Thessalonians says. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of display of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie. We're just living in one big lie, man. I mean, you know, we've got the truth of God and his gospel, and then we've got the lie of Satan. In all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and be saved. Satan's deception is extremely overt and covert. He works in every way possible, right? Covertly, he's doing things behind the scenes and deceiving our hearts. And sometimes we fall into this, right? We find ourselves in a position going, how did I get here? Why did I allow this to happen? Why did I say that? Why did I do that? I just got so blinded by my arrogance, by my pride, by whatever. Listen, those are good moments because they're moments of come to Jesus meetings, I call them, to where we realize Let me recognize the word of God, allow it to transform and change how I'm thinking here and start doing something differently. We call that big Bible word repentance. And this is something that's good in our lives. But his his deception is also over, just really right out there in our faces. And one of the ways is in a very false gospel within our culture. There's a radically different gospel being presented in our culture that is not the gospel about the about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who's king of the universe, whose kingdom has been established, whose kingdom will reign forever. And and the false gospel encourages us to live lavishly because Jesus died for us so you can have your best life now. The real gospel encourages us to live sacrificially, uh, to follow and trust and serve the vision that God has in our lives, even when it takes us places we don't want to ultimately go. Uh, Think about what 
Peter says in his letter, his second letter, he says, but there were also false prophets among the people, just as there were false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who, who brought them, who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. This is happening in our presence every day through the presentation of a false gospel. Um, Here's an illustration. Don't take it too far. It's a personal thing in my life and something I just experienced recently. About a month or so ago, I follow on Instagram something called Preachers and Sneakers. Maybe you know this. Basically, this guy years ago, he decided to start taking pictures or grabbing pictures off screen grabs from these celebrity preachers. Most of the time, it began with just their sneakers, their, their shoes. And then he would, he would make a screenshot where next to it he'd post, this is how much those shoes cost. And in some cases, they were $1,000, $2,000, $3,000 for a pair of shoes. Um, and, and this grew to belts and everything else. Well, just recently, there was a pastor by the name of John Gray, and he was presented on this wearing a hoodie. And the hoodie cost $1,000. All my wardrobe doesn't cost $1,000. doesn't make me better than John Gray. I'm just saying there's something odd about somebody who has to get on a stage and wear a hoodie that's got pre-torn holes in it. Just, it's a sweatshirt, people. You know, it has, listen, form over function. My Lord, I'm dying over here, okay? And it's $1,000. Well, there was a comment there that caught my attention, so I started engaging in this conversation with this individual. Their premise was, who are you to tell anybody what they do with their money? You just have this kind of taste. They have lavish taste. My response in general was simply, if I can't get you to understand how a $1,000 hoodie by a very well-known, well-seen person on a stage is just wrong at every stewardship level, then we got nothing to talk about. In, in, in response, I ended up saying, listen, you've shared with me over and over again your opinion about this in every, in every response. I said, every response I've shared with you scripturally why this is not good why it is not glorifying, and how it is presenting and a part of a false gospel that, that Christ has not called us to. And, and their response was, I know the scriptures very well, because I said you don't, and we're not sitting on the same platform here, so it's hard for us to see eye to eye. They said, I know the scriptures very well, and they went on to say this. I had to write it down because it was a quote, and I couldn't believe it. it. said, if a person in the world can live like a king, why can't a Christian? This is a person who is fully engaged in some church somewhere who completely believes and is eating their own cooking. I mean, besides the fact that John Gray has had adulterous affairs on his wife and is publicly known and buys her Lamborghinis to to make up for it, all right? Um, Despite that, I am blown away that people will defend that. I am blown away that people will make an opinionated statement. If a person in the world can live like a king, why can't a Christian? I'm like, because 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians says you can't. It says we're supposed to live called out and different from the world. And this is what Satan's deception is doing very overtly within our culture. It is creating a very powerful gospel that is deceiving people into believing this crazy stuff. And just supplying for other people lavish lifestyles while they're praying and hopeful that they can have one too because they're following Jesus. Come Lord Jesus, come. All right, the last one, self-deception. I wanna do this in three ways, three different things. Here's how self-deception happens in our life. First, isolation. The more we isolate ourselves from, and in this context, I'm gonna say Christian community, the more likely we're to be deceived about 
the ways in which we trust and follow Jesus. Now, this is the part where I can put a shameless plug in to say, if you're not a part of groups, this is going to happen in your life. All right, I'm not going to do that. What I do at Canoe Creek and what we do at Canoe Creek is we try to create as many opportunities as we can, as many environments as we can, to try and help people move in the direction that we believe will most form their hearts to be like Christ, to accomplish the vision we have. Go share them with your world. We know without a doubt Christian community is absolutely essential to this. Groups is one of the ways we do it here. And listen, if you've got another way in which you're consistently involved in Christian community throughout your life to where it's actually building you up, more power to you. I'm not here to try and build systems. I'm not here to try and tell everybody they're wrong. I'm here and my job is to try and lead people in the direction of the gospel as we're working together to achieve that. All right. All I'm saying is this, is we live in a culture that is saying, I can grow in my faith and I can become a great Christian just by showing up and being a part of this community once a week. This is great. This is good. But I'm telling you, when we look at Christians that were setting the world on fire, there were people whose lives intertwined consistently all throughout the week. There was community in everything that they did so that they were practicing in community the presence of God. The more we isolate ourselves, the more likely we are to be deceived about what is the truth of God and what is the lie of Satan. And so this is why we're trying to expand and grow these opportunities. For example, the next five years in 2022 in January, just a short few months from now, I will present a vision of a five-year plan for Canoe Creek. One of the core parts of that that plan is our adult education, our discipleship. There are three core parts to that plan. And one of them is how do we help people really grow in their faith rather than just engage in some moments where we're maybe inspired, but we really don't go away changed. And, and adult discipleship is one of those things. Our group platform was always something that we knew we would build on. And we got a little bit delayed in what we wanted to do, but what's going to be coming this fall is you'll see there's already going to be a couple of classes on Sunday mornings. Groups can help uh, encourage you and care for you spiritually and physically, but we need some sort of more classes, the opportunity, people at three different levels, really well knower, medium level, don't know anything, to be able to just sit down and for a 10-week period or five-week period or six-week period, be able to learn something and grow. You're going to see that coming here in just a few short weeks. We'll be telling you more details about that. And there's actually a third part of that too that I'll share with you later on. Isolation will cause us to have self-deception in our lives. Here's two more, all right? The next one is denial. Now, at the heart of every deception is the ability to handle a traumatic truth. Let me explain this. I don't understand this, but some of you are more medical than me because of your work and your life. But you realize that when something traumatic happens in somebody's lives, sometimes that person can go into shock. Right? They don't want to process what just happened. And so their mind tries to trick them into believing something's not happening here, this didn't really take place, so on and so forth. And so what we're basically doing is we're denying what is taking place. Here's the truth about the gospel. It is earth-shattering, it is life-shattering. When we get to a place where, like C.S. Lewis says, you cannot just moderately believe in Christianity. Either Jesus is who he says he is and it changes everything in the world in my life or he's nothing at all. Here's the problem. When we get to the heart and soul of the gospel, we realize just how impactful it is that my knee will bow, my tongue will confess one day when Jesus Christ is presented Lord, King of all things. And that means he bought me, he owns me, he commands my destiny, I need to be all in with him. It's a traumatic moment. 
And sometimes what we do is we deny that that is the ultimate in reality. And so we start creating our own little side hustle, side gospel, our idea of how we manage this truth. This is one of the greatest self-deceptions that Satan works at in our life. And here's how we combat it. It's with the word acceptance, right? This is the third thing in self-deception. Here's how this works in contrast to the denial. The reality of it is, is when we start to believe and understand that Jesus is an ultimate authoritative king, when he comes back, he's not going to look like a suffering servant on a cross. He is going to blow our socks off and we're going to fall to the ground on our faces and just worship him because of who he is. Whether you want to or you just have to because you cannot stand in the presence of someone like this. We can't even begin to imagine what it's like right now. When we get that in our mind, we start to think, how can somebody like that love a lump of clay like me? Because I realize how much I have broken every single one of these Ten Commandments. Even when some of us say, well, you know, I haven't committed adultery, I haven't committed murder, but then we've seen how Jesus really broadened how we break these commandments and break away from honoring our Father. It's heavy and it's difficult and it's hard for us to accept. And when we don't accept it, we compound the lie. We compound the deception in our life. Let me explain to you how as we wrap up. Saul, the first king of Israel, was an individual who looked down on himself and struggled with the fact that God had accepted him. Listen to what the prophet Samuel said to him. Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, we see how he looked down on himself, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. The Lord chose you even though you look down on yourself. But we see this problem consistently playing itself out in Saul's life. As Saul became king, he was dishonest. He created monuments to himself to glorify himself. He kept war plunder that he wasn't supposed to keep to honor himself. When he was ordered to execute a king that was an evil king, he kept him in his dungeon so that he could be perceived as king of kings. I'm the king of kings because I have a king in my dungeon and I rule over him. And he did all of those things. Why? Because he looked down on himself. He could not accept the fact that a God of all creation accepted and loved him. It's simply because he did not see that he was worthy. He did not see that he was valuable. And so what did he do? He constantly chased an image. He constantly chased a status. And in chasing that image and in chasing that status and compounding deception in his life, here's what he was doing. He was thinking, I will make my life mean something rather than just recognize a simple statement that Samuel said to him, don't you realize that God has chosen you even though you see lowly of yourself in your own eyes? This is one of the most essential keys to the gospel because there's an important balance that needs to take place in our hearts. Uh, we don't deny the absolute authority 
of Jesus and how powerful he is over us and that we need to be all in with our hearts. And there should be a weight on our hearts when we think about that because that's an essential and deep truth. And yet at the same time, we should be able to entertain complete joy in knowing that Jesus doesn't look down on me and neither should I. I want to read this because this is important. Wake up. Last thing to be said. If we fail to accept and receive the grace of God through Jesus, we will constantly be pursuing the deceitful pursuits of this world because we are being deceived into thinking that is the only way my life will have meaning. The gospel declares a radically different truth. It declares your life has worth. You have intrinsic value. That Jesus gave his life up so that your life could have meaning, identity, status, and everything else in his. And so you don't have to keep pursuing paths that will lead you to deception and try and convince yourself and your world that I'm valuable. The gospel's already declared it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to study your word this morning. Lord, we ask that you would help us digest it all. Uh, we know that there's a lot there. And we just pray that you would help us to have a mind that sees past, beyond, and through the, the deception that Satan is trying to convince us of, Lord. Uh, so that we see your son, Jesus Christ, as Lord over all. That we see his, his kingdom as a place that you have brought us into and a place where you will richly reward us in ways that we can never imagine. It's called us to live different in this world. It's given us extreme and intrinsic uh, perception into the value that you place on us. Help us to understand that. Help us to accept that uh, so that our hearts are more in tune with you and more in tune with your truth. So that we can live in such a way that honors you, Lord. This is what we want. This is what we desire. Live in such a way that honors you, that helps bring up the lives of all those around us that we impact as we share your son with them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.